Hello and welcome to the Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law in Sport. If you haven't tuned in before, the Law in Sport podcast is here to help you understand the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport. On today's show, our guests are Jake March from Stats Perform and Johnny Gray from Control Risks. Both organisations have just come together to do an exciting project looking at essentially risk management, compliance, data and integrity within sport. All very topical issues, I'm sure you will agree. So I think it's going to be a fantastic show. I think you'll love it. And remember, for all the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport, go to lawandsport.com. Follow us on SoundCloud, Twitter, iTunes, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and pretty much most other social platforms. And most of all, remember, the ethos of what we do is about content and community, and the community element is really important. So if you like the podcast, if you think there's things that we're doing that you enjoy, please do tell people about it. We'd love to get your views on what you think about the interview and the issues that were discussed. If you think there's anything we should follow up with, anyone else we should speak to, we'd love to know. Other than that, whatever time of day it is, the morning, lunchtime, evening, if you're on a commute on the way into work, you're stuck at your desk doing a project and you're just looking for a distraction, I hope this is a good one for you. Other than that, I hope you enjoy the show. I'm joined today by two guests. We have one who you may be familiar with, Jake Marsh, who's the Head of Integrity at Stats Perform. Hi, Jake. Hi, Sean. Good Thanks. to see you. Good to see you again. Looking well after <laughs> Thank a, you. A, a couple of weeks off, which you rarely have, I know. And uh, joined by Johnny Gray, who is the Senior Partner of Control Risks. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time out. Great to be here, Sean. And thanks for hosting us in your lovely offices. Not at all. In a, in a media room, no, indeed, no indeed. less. Indeed. It's, it's first. Um, so thank you very much for that. Um, now, we've worked with uh, Stats Perform before. You guys are members of Law & Sport, your legal team subscribe. And we've heard some fantastic stuff that you've done in terms of partnerships. And on the last podcast, we kind of described and discussed how, um, and we can link to it, in the link below, described how the um, your approach to integrity in sport was a very much around that and driving partnerships that benefited the um, end user, often in this case, the um, sports governing bodies. So I get a call from Sarah, who, who, who works with you, and says, look, we've got this fantastic thing going on. We'd love to hear about you. We're partnering with Control Risk. Um, you think, I think you guys would be interested in it. So here we are. I saw the press release, but for the benefit of the listeners, um, who would like to start in sort of introducing how this came about and uh, what it is you're doing working together? Um, okay, I'll start. Um, so, Controris, for for your uh, listeners, um, many of them be familiar with us. Um, we're a global business risk consultancy and we sort of focus on security, uh, integrity and political risk. Uh, and in the law space, we do a lot of work around investigations, due diligence, um, litigation support, e-discovery, uh, and so on um, for our clients, corporations, or, or for law firms uh, acting on their behalf. Um, we've always done a lot of work in the sports sector, um, primarily around sort of security master planning. We were part of the delivery partner for the London 2012 Olympics and did all the sort of security master planning for the for the Olympic Park. Um, but what we saw really after the DOJ intervention into FIFA about 
four or five years so ago. That's the Department of Justice for those. Who yes, sorry, know. Department you of Justice. Can't assume that people know. Uh, intervention to FIFA about four years, four or five years ago. Um, we then saw sport, the sports sector, looking for par- a partner to help them with the sorts of things one would expect to see in corporate life um, uh, being applied into into the sports sector. So due diligence on counterparties, investigations into the misuse of funds, and so on and so forth. So so, so that really supercharged our involvement with the sports sector. Um, and some clients around the world started to ask us to look at match fixing with our data analytics capability and so on. But we realized that we we could not do that alone and we needed a really great partner to work with and I'd known Jake for a long time and reached out to Jake and we had a few conversations and and here we are um so that's sort of how we got here to an extent I think perfect so and Jake so do you want to build on from that then how yeah and what you're doing now together Ab- absolutely so I mean I think you probably hit the nail on the head the last time we spoke was probably 18 months ago I think and you know, you mentioned about the rights holder and the governing bodies being the focus, and that's that's still really what we are all about. Stats perform. Um, we used to be perform group. We've obviously gone through a merger this year. Uh, we're now combined with stats in 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 the US, and they've got exactly the same philosophy. You know, it's all about the client. It's all about you know serving the customer to the best of our ability, and our integrity unit at Stats Perform as hopefully many people on the on the podcast will know listening um you know we provide services around betting monitoring analysis uh intelligence um and performance analysis when it comes to anti-match fixing uh, we also provide other services around education and governance as well um but it's a very focused piece on match fixing and betting now i come from a, a professional services background in risk and investigations and one thing I've always thought about the sports sector is not only that it needs all the help it can get, but it needs to access or have access to services that aren't necessarily within the sports industry, you know, or known about a lot of the time. And it's exactly as Johnny said, it's background screening, due diligence, large scale on the ground investigations, forensics, all these technologies that are being applied in the world of finance, pharmaceuticals, when it comes to risk management, but not necessarily have crossed over to sport. And so when we were thinking about how we could grow our our services to rights holders um, and make them aware of you know other other things that we can do for them, the, the control risk partnership just sat perfectly within that. And and the reason for that is really quite simple. Companies like ourselves aren't professional due diligence investigations, security, political political risk providers, and really neither should we be. Um, so what we wanted to do was to enable access for our clients to those services in a professional way. You know, we weren't going to try and just do it ourselves and say to clients, we can do this. It was very much, we're going to partner with one of the global leaders in this world and then say to clients, here you go. So that's really interesting. So then are you saying that this is a demand-driven partnership then? So this was something you'll come up against going, look, we've helped you out for you know, the data analytics side of things in terms of match fixing, we spotted a risk, we're flagging this, and then the people are coming back to you and saying, well, great, but now what do we do? Absolutely. Um, And the reason for that, I think, um, and to their credit, is because of the way 
risk management has grown within the sports sector. So quite often now we'll be talking at once to a commercial department, a general counsel, an integrity department, and the security department is part of the integrity department. So in any one conversation or meeting around a project, you could be talking to all the people that actually need help in other areas that are integrity and governance or, or security related. Um, and I think actually, you know, we've, the partnership is probably six weeks old now, two, two months, six weeks, two months old. Um, and the interest we've had already has, has borne that out. So, you know, we've, we've been at conferences or we've been in meetings and we've explained what the partnership is doing. And rights holders have gone, oh, that's really interesting. We didn't know you did that. Um, and it, it, not even just rights holders, it's franchise owners, regulators. It's kind of opened up a bit of a, or hopefully a whole new world really for us. So, so Johnny, in, in your experience, given other sectors, my analysis of the sports sector, whether it's football, American football, whatever it is, that it's a maturing market, still relatively in its infancy when it comes to professionalisation. And therefore, a lot of people involved have been uh, in it for the love of it, um, you know, or, or they just happen to be there at the time, whether it's in a football club and they've carried on. Is this pattern that you're seeing um, with them coming, the, the, the increased uh, desire and need for these type of services? Is this typical of other sectors that you've seen over your experience? Um, yes and no. I, I think the key difference to the sports sector is it's an unregulated sector. So uh, Jake mentioned, for example, pharm pharmaceuticals or, or the financial sector, heavily regulated, um, risk management very highly codified, so that, you know, those sectors... Uh, are very informed, intelligent buyers who come to companies like Control Risks, very specific services, and, you know, we all know what we're doing. Um, sport as a sector is probably 10 to 15 years behind where those sectors have got to. And you're um, talking about, sorry, you're talking about the, the when they say sport, yep. because no doubt there's a tiered <laughs> you know, here. Yep. So you're talking about the top end professionals are 15 years behind the most professionalised in sport are kind of generally in that sort of realm of yeah, I mean, their experience it's, with dealing with this. Gross global, you know, generalisation, but it, on the whole, yes. Now, that th that presents risk and opportunity. The, the risk is that things are going on in sport that just would not be acceptable in business. Um, you know, tender contracts that are not tendered out, you know, no due diligence on providers, all done on the sort of mate circuit and all that. So grossly open to abuse um, on the one hand. But on the other hand, the opportunity of sport is to look uh, at, at what has gone not so well in the regulated businesses and jump a generation. So, you know, a bit like uh, I was using the analogy of sort of phones in Africa. I mean, they never, they've never done landline. They've just gone straight to sort of 4G. The same opportunity exists for sport with the right partners, and this is where we think together with Stats Perform we've got a lot to offer, is to say, okay, we want to move this sport on a generation uh, how can we accelerate that progress? Um, and that's what we're seeing the response from the market has been. I mean, it's very interesting. I initially thought this was going to be about us providing the global forensic investigations capability to rights holders, 
uh, and governing bodies who didn't have an internal investigations unit um, so that once stats perform had red flagged a, a match or something you know that that rights holder could then call us in to do the investigation and of course that is very much at the core of it but what what we found in the six weeks since we've been going is the market's much interested in much broader things and we've already contracted with several clients who who want other things which is great because uh, the market's defining the interest um and that's very exciting for us it's, it's really interesting because i was th- from a legal perspective, we have exactly the same problems from legal services providers, which is how should you use a lawyer? When you instruct someone, where's value? How does that represent itself? And so it probably seems that there's the same type of educational piece because I have a lot of conversations with people involved in risk management at this moment in time, from particularly from who've gone from pharma and other sectors. And I say it seems that that risk and compliance function is only going to increase because it's such a critical role in any other business area and so as part of this initiative is some of your are you expecting some of your advice to be hey you probably need a central point of contact within the business to actually look after this yes so so i really in the last year have moved across to be full-time head of our sports sector globally because it was something i was doing (coughs) sort of you know as as another hat as a senior partner in the company but but Due to this demand, um, it's taken my time full time, which which is excellent, and and um, going you know getting the stats perform thing up and running is very exciting. But the point you raise, Sean, is really interesting, which is the question of value, and you know this is a can be a problem in in the corporate sector where people don't understand the value of risk management. Um, uh, and therefore, bu- budgets are a problem, and you know, and all that sort of thing. I, I think what sport is beginning to realise is that if their sport is considered to be corrupt um, in, in in various respects, that sponsors start running for the hills, broadcasters don't want their brand associated with it, and, and before you know it, you're in a very vicious downhill cycle where your incredibly valuable brand is depreciating rapidly because of poor risk management in the field of match fixing or, 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 or doping or safeguarding, um, safeguarding absolutely market. massive issue, I think, um, court siding, you know, all these things, all the abuse of players or the, or the game um, means that sponsors, you saw Sony cancelling their FIFA partnership um, at the time I mentioned, just saying, or at least not renewing it, to be to be accurate, not renewing it. <clears throat> but, you know, one imagines that they <clears throat> didn't want their brand to be associated with that. Uh, and I think we have always done due diligence for sponsors into sports. So we've always seen it from their perspective of, do we want to associate our brand with this sport, with these these directors of that sport, and so on. And I think sports needs to wake up to the fact that if they don't do this, they're in problems. Uh, and you see tennis, uh, for example, you know, have gone through a very methodical, logical process and are now making a, a strategic move in this respect. Well, it's interesting because I think, I guess one of the, the um, key points here is that, as you said, I, I like the way you phrased that, it's an opportunity. That given this is uh, never to be where we're going, 
Like we have to go this. This is the way. More money's going to sport. There's more data in sport. You know, this stats perform deal tells you about, and it becomes. Uh, and there's 24/7 news cycles about everything that's going on, and more's coming out around Me Too, more coming out about safeguarding, etc. The the opportunity here surely has to be for someone to like sponsors whether to be super proactive because say for example later this week we've got a webinar on human rights in sport. And big drivers of that are Coca-Cola and BT and others in that corporate social responsibility framework. So it seems to me understanding your risk would hopefully, across the board, because I'm assuming when you're looking at the risk from what you're saying, and maybe we can get into this, when you're doing a risk profiling and you're touching on the political risk and everything else, would that also then, say a company comes to you and say, hey, we think we've got this risk, you're looking at the match fixing risk together, etc. And you actually go, well... Whilst this is a risk area, actually, you're more exposed in these other areas. Sorry, Johnny. Johnny was just about to grab the microphone and I have steamed in. Sorry about that. Um, that's quite all right. Um, sorry, just, just to gather my thoughts again. Um, on, on that front, we've actually just provided a proposal uh, to a major, major federation. I won't say which sport. Um, oh, please do, please do. Uh, no, I, I won't because if if the uh, if the contact is listening, she might not thank me. Um, but what was interesting about it is that initially it started out as a betting risk assessment, betting and match fixing risk assessment. So yeah, that's absolutely fine. You know, we can look at the data, the markets going back several years. We can look at what we've got in our intelligence holdings. We can give you a good idea of what your teams will face in terms of match fixing risk. But interestingly for this project, one of the main reasons they're doing it, they've, they've had problems as a federation in the past and they're very much trying to clean up the whole governance of the of the, of the region. Which federation so, hasn't now, nowadays, exactly, it seems like. Exactly, and, it, and it's great that they're doing so. Um, and one of the interesting things about the project was that they're going to start playing matches um, against you know teams that they've never played against before. So we, while we can also look at those opposition teams' previous performances over the last several years in terms of a match-fixing risk. What we also said was, well, actually, you know, political risk, economic risk, corruption risk within these territories as well is actually something that we think should come into this because of the nature of sport that you mentioned before in terms of where we are. And you look at a lot of federations still, politically exposed persons, um, financial relationships, business relationships, these are all the things that come into play in a standard business risk or due diligence operation, but don't necessarily come, always come into play in sport. And so we suggested this to them, and that will now form part of the project. So we'll have this, we have the betting risk, intelligence, and then there'll be also country risk profiles within this, so they can understand actually you know, what, what the team's um, they're playing against, you know, where they're coming from in terms of governance, financial risk, because that also affects the players, how the sports run. It's all bound up in a much broader picture. So instead of just looking at sport, we're actually looking at the whole setup um, in terms of the country. The, from a sports perspective, it would seem to me, again, I'm not sure if I'm putting words into your mouth, but the win here is everyone wins, right? So if we can increase the... One thing I'm very sympathetic towards international federations, sports clubs, as a small business owner, I totally get how you can get fixated on trying to uh, execute on the deliverables. From, my, from our side, it's content. We want to give the best content for people. You can get absolutely fixated with content, not realising you're running a business. 
and there's other things you need to do. I totally sympathise with that, particularly when I was hypercritical of governing bodies of sport and then you speak to the people and you go, well, actually, these are great people trying to do a lot and just the pure weight of trying to get a sports competition running, all the stakeholders involved. So if we could... In you know, and by the way, we don't do any paid content, just in case people are listening and sort of think this is a total PR uh, for you guys. But the win here would have to be that if people are asking the right questions globally, that improves the overall standard. Yes, I think there is that potential win, um, but I, I would have to say that you know, being in this game for a while, there are there are. Um, there are some sports who, who say they're going to really take this seriously, but don't actually allocate the resources and the, st- the governance structures to really institutionalize it. So they are not really doing it properly. Uh, and contrast that, as I mentioned earlier, with the weight. And have you seen that in other sectors? And what, what is there then the... Oh, of course. The, and yeah, so what's yeah, the inevitable outcome then? Of from course. There? And, and, and it, 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 what I would say is over the, the 40 years or so that Controlist has been in business, our clients globally, our, our institutional clients, are the ones that you will see in the FTSE 100, the Fortune 100, etc., because they're incredibly well-run organisations. If you play fast and loose with this, um, or you don't, you say things but don't allocate resources. Certainly, in a listed company, the market's just going to catch you out straight away. I think that will be the way we will go with sport. And the reason why I say it's sports the winner, I, 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 my only caveat on that is I think there are opportunities for individual sports to be better than others. So when sponsors and advertisers are looking where to place their brand, my my hypothesis is that, uh, and I can tell you this from fact, having done due diligence uh, for them, is that integrity in that sport and reputation assigning their brand to that sport is going to be a key consideration. So if your sport is cleaner and demonstrates that uh, and, you know, and, and reassures, if you like, the investors and the advertisers and others um, uh, that your sport is cleaner than the next sport, you're going to attract the dollars, um, the limited dollars, and the other sports not. So it's an opportunity for all of sport, but it's also an opportunity for individual sports, if that, if that makes that, sense. That does make absolute sense, and it seemed to me that, again, everyone gets excited about the sports sector and look, we're all in business in the sports sector, but I always joke around and say there's actually not that much money in the sports sector compared to other services. When you actually look at the, the, the top end there is, but everyone else is scraping around and the sport is competing against, and I'm using words from you know, a much more successful marketing agency uh, who, who described this and said, from their perspective, they're seeing that sport is competing against third sector, they're competing against mass participation events, they're competing against music festival, they're in you know, the entertainment business. And so they're, as you're saying, it's, there, it's not just uh, you know, football competing against rugby, it's football competing against all these others. So uh, in that regards... But, but if you look, at, you look at what esports are doing with doping, for example, where they've sort of turned the whole thing around and... Uh, and contestants are now posting on their Instagram, then being checked for um, stimulants and other drugs that may improve their performance. That's the sort of thing I'm talking about. But about because you would sort of think, oh well, esports that must be a bit, you know, stimulants and speed of reaction, you know. But actually, they've turned it round. Rather than having a sort of secretive drug testing policy, they're getting it out on Instagram. They're reassuring everyone, yeah, you know, we've thought of that. We're ahead of the game on that, and that makes them look 
a better investment, a better thing to get. And they have to do that because they they are, uh, you know, in theory, a fast growth uh, sector. And so they're again, the risk is high if they get it wrong. Correct. They've invested way too much. That's exactly the point, Sean, is that if they get that wrong, and everybody just says, well, this is just all fixed and it's they're all on stimulants and they're not really it's not fair, then the value of that could, could be almost written off. Whereas I think they're doing a good job and, and, and therefore the opportunity for other sports is sort of, you know, to look at those sorts of things. And, and can I ask you, um, obviously, Jake, we covered your background previously. So, again, people can listen back to that. What's your background? Sorry, we should have, I should have asked this at the beginning. So I've been with Controllers 15 years. Um, and um, uh, before that, I was in the British military for 20 years. Um, you so. sound like you're in the military. So. <laughs> <laughs> I try and throw it off, but there we go. It's that um, Sandhurst well, education. Well, well, sort of, <laughs> you, can't get, you can't get rid of it. Uh, but yeah, so 15 years in Controllers. And I originally in Controllers started more on the sort of crisis management side of the business and then over time have moved across, you know, more cover the whole the whole thing more broadly um, and really been, as I say, had a foot in the sports camp since Germany 2006 World Cup when, when I did our first sort of bit of work around that and uh, I've enjoyed it, you know, more as a side thing for the last period, but really the last few years it's it's grown enormously for us. And so can you uh, just typically talk through, and I know Jake, you gave a, quite a, a very good insight then into how your service be run. We talk about due diligence, and I think if people haven't been through that process or understand it, there is a varying degrees of due diligence processes and procedures. Um, for example, Michael Belloff with IWF Reform said that he got more vetted as in, as now as head of ethics for IWF um, than he did for um, when he was a privy judge. You, you know, it was a flippant statement when he was just I was interviewing for something. But I just thought that was quite telling that the reforms meant that they've introduced this quite high standard. And so you would think that the Privy Council standard would be pretty high. So anyway, so maybe you can talk about that to give a, uh, to bring it a bit yeah, of so, colour so, to so, it. Yeah, so um, coincidentally, the, the Head of Compliance Integrity at the IAAF is a Contouris alumni um, who, who's gone in there. And, and we're seeing that. We're seeing people, co- you know, the, the sport coming to our sector and Contouris in particular to to hire in well, It makes people. a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah uh, that opportunity to sort of jump a generation if you like so yes um the double if elections uh i happen to know um extremely rigorously carried out so so due diligence works sort of broadly two ways uh first of all uh, where is the money coming from i think that's going to be an increasing interest in sport there's been a tendency as you mentioned earlier on just sort of be grateful the money's coming but i think nowadays uh, one needs to know where it's coming from, and and it's often not the person who you might. And be that's really difficult. That is that, that for me. No, it's maybe not for you. Yep. But but I was speaking to some people in football the other day, and we were joking around about how many Chinese investors that they've talked to. And that's not to to say there's not legitimate Chinese investors. There absolutely are. But if you're not operating in that market, you've got no way of telling. And it could I, I use Chinese as the example just because it's a, you know, a, a, a full of wealthy individuals who want to invest in sport and businesses that do. But it could be any, you know, it could be American for that matter. It could be Italian, whatever. How do you how do you how do you tell their legitimate? So, so we have three offices in China. We have um, over 300 people working there, most of whom are, are, are native Chinese. Um, this is what we do for corporations all the time. So I'm either investing in China and I want to know precisely who I'm dealing with and what their track record is, uh, you know, as a partner, 
um, what their you know status is and so on, bank records, you know, sort of uh, uh, whether they've been in trouble, whether there's been adverse media and so on, um, or, or or they're investing in you and you need to comply with anti-money laundering regulations or other regulations to make sure that you understand where that money is coming from. Now, as I said earlier, I think you know there has been a tendency in the past of sport to just you know thank you very much for that, that money without asking any questions, and I, I I just don't think that's going to be sustainable for much longer. Not least that you you've seen the U.S. So the U.S. intervention into FIFA we talked about earlier was under the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, um, and and countries around the world have been passing anti-bribery legislation, um, and and so I think. You know, those days have gone. The, the other way of doing diligence is you're about to give a grant um, to, let's say, a, 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 an African football federation to build some AstroTurf pitches or something. Uh, you want to make sure that that money is going to people who um, who are going to actually build the AstroTurf pitches uh, and that there's some assurance process around that so that... You want to avoid a Jack Warner situation. Yeah, yeah you know, and, and, and you know, we, we don't really talk about things we do, but it's in it's public record, it's in the news, um, you know, that we were heavily involved in the investigations in Liberia recently, which led to the suspension um, of, of the head of the FA there. Um so that type of thing, I think, you know, uh, is what we mean by due diligence. And, and can I ask you then, I've got a, a question. Yeah. And that question that, that bugs me at the moment. Uh, so because we work in Germany in a capitalist system, obviously it's good in certain, certain markets, but generally most places either have sovereign wealth funds or they rely heavily on the, the, the private equity as, as, as a legitimate means to, to grow their business. It would seem to me that with, uh, whether it's FIFA or others or uh, other sports organisations, either working with private equity companies or private commercial businesses in sport taking investment to grow uh, or owning football clubs. I think we just saw Man City take a, uh, uh, how much, yeah, quite a, a sizable amount of money um, from a private equity company uh, who specialise in tech. How does that due diligence process work and how deep does it go? Because it seems to me that one of the the, 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 the characteristics that you've rightly identified in sport is people are very grateful for the money. They're competing in a very short time frame, so therefore the pressure, whether it's real or not, seems quite high to take that cash to, to make the right moves and they can quickly get themselves unstuck. How does that due diligence process work when we're looking at these sort of private funds um, investing in sport? How deep does it go? Well, uh, the answer is it can go as deep as you want it to go. Um, we would normally say, you, you know, broadly speaking, there are three levels. Um, there's sort of almost a sort of glorified Google check, if you like, level one. Level two is you're looking at databases, um, so, so, so for bankruptcy or for criminal records or for politically exposed persons who are on sanctions lists uh, and so on. Um, and then finally, third level three is you, you actually then go into what we would call source inquiries, where you are sort of talking to people closely connected with that, maybe journalists who have covered the organization in the country concerned, or, or perhaps people in the law enforcement community with whom we have good relations. So a combination of all that, and, and, and as I said earlier, you're, you're, you're not necessarily looking at the front men, uh, particularly in some of the jurisdictions you talked about earlier on, you're trying to work out who is behind Who's them. a beneficial owner. Correct, right. correct. Beneficial owner, exactly right. And so who, who is that? Um, 
and look, you know, we, we help global companies succeed in a complex world. There are very few deals on a scale of one to ten, ten being this is as pure as driven snow. There are very few ten deals. Um, so we've been helping clients invest in Russia for, you know, I think 30 plus years. Now, you know, to be honest, what we're trying to do is say to a client, look, this is a sort of seven out of ten deal, and these are the issues you need to be aware of. It's then the client's decision whether to proceed or not. Um, and what I think we're seeing, we're seeing with sport is they need to be better informed in that respect. Not that you're not that they're going to, you know, we're trying to stop the deal. We're just trying to say this before you say thank you very much for that money. Just understand the things that come with it. This could be a good webinar. I think we've got a webinar topic. <laughs> so if you think this will be a good webinar, because we're about yes. to launch a, a series next year, they really would yeah, be, because yeah, yeah. surely um, I said this to you know, uh, people in the legal sector that um, the traditional legal sector has made a lot of money by withholding information, and that's not now the win. The win is to upskill people as quickly as possible so they can be sophisticated enough to know how and when to use your services. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, Johnny's touched on you know several issues there, and, and just bringing it back to, I think football's a good example. Or always is, unfortunately. Um, but you know, there's multiple examples of clubs, leagues not doing due diligence on potential owners. Six months down the line, clubs going bankrupt. They're in court. Reputation of that league is in tatters. Players the clubs, aren't getting paid. Players aren't getting paid. The club Stop goes it. bankrupt. Yeah, all of the, you know, all these uh, human stories and business stories all wrapped into one. And then also directly in, in our world related to match fixing. I mean, Johnny mentioned about looking at the beneficial owners. I mean, we're seeing it more and more now in in, in various regions, whether that's Southeast Asia, Europe, Balkans, these sorts of places. You've got an owner, a president of a club. Yep. Yeah, Local businessman, all absolutely fine. He's not the actual owner. There's money behind the club, and that money is linked to organised crime. They're deliberately transferring players in to start fixing matches. And then when you actually look behind that again, they've done it at two clubs previously. And then as soon as it's got a little bit too hot for them, they've moved on and they've gone to another club and said, look, we can save your club, and it's always the vulnerable clubs. Now, I think one thing that we've discussed as well there's no point us having this partnership and it all being around gold level elite sport. You know, we need to be able to be in a position to help lower level, mid-level sports as well, because let's face it, that's where the risk is. So that's something we've, you know, we have discussed as part of this. Also, it benefits you guys, let's be clear, like, you know, like us. Like if we, you know, I always say to people, there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. If we can, like, help other people do better, if we can help them have better governance standards, if we can help them understand their legal structures and have better, uh, robust legal and regulatory processes, we win because they would like to use us more, hopefully, and read more about what we do. Absolutely. And you talked about value um, earlier on, and it actually does work both ways. I mean, we as a, as a, as a data provider, and, a, and we work across, obviously, multiple sports, we'll do due diligence on potential partners. And there's been at least two or three deals in the last 12 months that you know our rights team have come to me and said, Jake, what do you think about this from a risk perspective? And it's, as Johnny said, you then provide them with all the all the points regarding this deal and what the potential risks are and then it was decided do you know what this we're not going to do this now if those sports and federations had been up to a standard that we could be comfortable that they're managing their risk then we might have gone forward but as it was 
we couldn't do it because it's a risk to our business. So as you say, you know, if it's both sides of the coin that are doing this and taking the responsible approach, then it is a win-win situation. You know, we can we can sell our data comfortably knowing that we're helping develop a sport, bringing value in, and they we know on the other side that they're you know they're acting responsibly in terms of their business operations. But as Johnny said, there's very few pure as as the driven but, snow deals. Yeah, and I, and I think that's that's that. You know, again, if we're just on a bit like the stuff with uh, which I you know praised you know uh, Welsh rugby for example for dealing head on with the issues with st- the use of performance enhancing drugs in their sport, and they've been you know very public about it, and they've received a lot of criticism. But you think, as you were saying about the esports, they've addressed it head on. Uh, and they've actually made you know you know doing a very good job with it. it. Just so happens they have got an issue there, and they've said yes, we have. But you know some people are just burying their heads in the sands. Yeah, I, I was at the Rugby World Cup in Japan, and I noticed you know the, the hashtag Clean Rugby everywhere. Um, and I think you know as somebody who's helping investors make decisions, that that's you know that's a, that's a positive thing. Of course, you know you, you then want to sort of scratch a bit deeper and see well you know. Is this just yeah, are they actually doing it? And and that's what due diligence is. It's okay, they may say that they're got the highest level of integrity in the sport, but have they? Um and as Jake said, you know, we are seeing advertisers, sponsors, broadcasters, this is standard due diligence for them now. So if sports are if they're just saying it and not doing it, you know, that they're gonna get I would I would love to continue, I'm just conscious of time, uh but the <laughs> I've got about a million other questions now <laughs> stemming on this. And one of them would be, part I guess, two, I guess, exactly. yeah, I guess part two. Um, what I just think is a very, I actually do uh, you know, think it's a, a hugely important issue because I actually think there's a lot of people that, you know, we deal with so many people globally do actually help people sometimes. And I know there's a lot of people who would love this type of uh, activity. And again, there's other providers, I'm sure. So it's not just you guys, but my point is at least having Although, there, there's uh, a lot uh, of lawyers it, out there who would love at least yes, this I mean, game. I wish I could get my us, tickets. But I, I would say that we are the f- the first movers to, to partner in this way. Um, we globally. can say that. That's fine. <laughs> um, so, uh, and, and it's, you know, we're not, we're not sitting here together by accident. It's a very, you know, a, a strategic uh, move for both companies um, uh, because we both see that this issue of Ethics and compliance and integrity in sport is just it's not going away. Yeah. And so we, yeah, again, we see the other end. We see the the symptoms of it. Let's say when people come into us and saying, "Hey, what do you know about this? Hey, how do we do this? Should, should my is this really a disciplinary issue? Is that contract really a valid contract? You know, we get a lot of those requests globally. And um, so I think this is a good thing because most people, it would seem to me, and I'm not sure if you'd agree, they want to move forward in a positive way, really want to do a great job. And so if we can help them, and that was the question I had then. Let me finish on this because otherwise I'll just keep rambling. I'm sure people listening to this podcast are dying for me to shut up. But my question is then, if there was, if you were going to make recommendations of people who are thinking, you know, I'm working in a sports governing body, I think this could be helpful to me. What should I do at least to just get a better understanding on this? Or what piece of advice would you give them? So I, I, I would say, um, and you touched on it earlier, Sean, don't, don't just go for the symptoms. Um, it, it's very tempting just to sort of cherry pick certain things and do certain things. I, I think take a comprehensive approach. Um, start with a top-level review. We talked about tennis earlier on. You know, I, I, I like what they've done. They've gone through a, a, a strategic review, and they're now building the governance, and then the rest will flow. And I think you have to take that approach. 
a holistic, top-down, strategic, it's going to cost you money and okay. so on. So, so, so my question then is, given the, the let's talk about the lot of the, the people that Jake was talking about, and I know, <clears throat> you're working in a governing body. You don't necessarily, you may listen to this and think, yes, we would love this. How on earth am I going to get my board or my council to agree to this, given that they're part of the problem? And I know... There's an, uh, an international federation that's got in a lot of trouble recently with the IOC where there were people working there who were deeply frustrated and they just couldn't make... They tried, you know, with everything they possibly could to make it. So what well, do you do? Well, I'd say the first thing is get them to listen to this podcast. Send the podcast to all the members of the board and say, on your commute, on the next flight, listen to this and then, you know, come back. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, without being, you know, without being, I suppose, cocky or clever, I mean, my first response would be say, drop me and Johnny an email and we'd be happy to have a chat. Um, I think in all seriousness, though, it's, it's like Johnny said, it's it's not going after the symptoms. It's it's looking at the whole picture. And what and what we're talking about, sorry, what, what we're talking about here, if we're talking about due diligence and, and risk management, we're not just talking about, you know, investment sponsors. We are talking about, we're talking about supply chain. We're talking about contracts, RFPs, anything that's got, a dollar sign attached to it there's or pound gonna, or pound sorry or pound or euro um you know there's going to be a risk attached to it and it's it's that person if it's one person it can be having to get this together um and companies like us can help them assess what that risk is going to be and put and put mitigation in place perfect and so uh, i said that was the last thing i always say that and i never get to the last thing I just wanted to reiterate and go over what you just said at the end because I think it was missed. The key thing, if you don't know what to do, is to reach out to people like you, right? So your advice would be, to sum up, would be in a perfect world, do a top-down review process and do it thoroughly and really identify and get to grips with what's going on. And if you feel that you're in a position where you can't necessarily ask for that this moment in time, the best thing to do is to reach out professionals like uh, Jake and Johnny who will happily have a chat with you and then maybe you can work out the best strategic move forward. Sure, and, and uh, you know, we certainly in controllers in the corporate sector were well used to coming and talking to boards and, uh, and talking them through um, the benefits. And we talked a lot about the, the, the potential upside of getting this right uh, in a sport or in a federation. So we're used to talking to that through and, and together, you know, it's, um, as consultants, it's something we do. But, you know, we're also in the sports sector and we're keen to see this go well, you know, because we love sport and, and so there's, you know, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a genuine passion behind it as well. So thank you very much for that interview. Thanks for, uh, you know, uh, getting this organised, for taking the time uh, to do this and thank you, Johnny, for letting us use your offices for this. Uh, a real pleasure, very informative and like I said, I'd love to pick this up again, whether it is on a webinar or on a follow-up podcast or something, because I do think it's, uh, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be one of the topics of the coming years. Great, thank you. Thanks, uh, thanks, Sean. Thank you very much. I'll get your name right this time. Thanks, Sean. Well, sadly, that's all we have time for for this show. But remember, for all the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport, go to lawinsport.com, follow us on pretty much most social platforms. And, of course, if you'd like to make the most out of Law in Sport, but you might as well become a Plus member, you'll get access to our webinar series in 2020, you get discounted rates to our tickets and conferences, and more importantly than that, you get access to over 2,000 peer-reviewed articles on lawinsport.com, which are used by Premier League football clubs, by governments, by international sports federations, by top sports lawyers around the world. If you think that you'd be a great person to be on the podcast, 
or if you'd like to contribute an article or something to what we're doing, we'd love to hear from you. We're all about community wherever you are in the world. We'd love to try and support you. Other than that, thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you have a wonderful day.